Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Labaris, Social Communications Manager at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your classroom and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. This is Danielle. Hey, everyone. It's Sari, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. We know there is a lot happening right now, and we hope we can provide you with insights, tips and best practices, and breathing room from the critical work you do. We are here to support teaching and learning wherever it is taking place. And this episode is another episode in our small leadership series, and we are super excited to have with us today Senior Executive Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates, Ken Tam. So welcome, Ken. We are so happy you're here. If you don't mind just introducing yourself to our listeners. Sure. Thanks, Danielle. I'm sorry. So part of the work that I do at Curriculum Associates is to work with districts across the country on helping them improve their data and assessment literacy by really helping them understand what are the key components of a great assessment system and what are the practices that we are seeing from key thought leaders that they should be incorporating within their school district? Well, that keeps you busy, I'm sure, <laughs> across the country. Uh, so Ken, what are you thinking about as we start to turn the corner from spring until fall? So what are what's new or what are you reading that our listeners would love to hear? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. So one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about or I've been talking with districts about is really thinking through this idea of how to address their unfinished learning by accelerating some principles to accelerate learning um, for the upcoming school year. One of the documents that I've been taking a look at is a white paper from the Council of Great City Schools. Um, It's entitled Addressing Unfinished Learning After COVID-19 School Closures. So in the document itself, they really articulated six principles or strategies for that schools should be thinking about. So simply stick to grade level content and instructional rigor. What that means is that I think people are very tempted to focus their time on remediation. And studies after studies have shown that remediation is not going to be the solution for a lot of school districts. However, if they were to focus on grade level, and design scaffolds to get kids to grade level over time, that's the approach they should focus in on. They should also think about the depth of instruction and not on the pace. So historically, if I'm a school district or a teacher, and I know that I have some students with unfinished learning, I'm somewhat tempted to try and do a little bit on every single topic that they may have missed, but ultimately that it may not be the right approach. However, if you were to focus on the depth of instruction, thinking about what are the grade level topics that students need to know, and in particular, key standards, that is the the great strategy to really address unfinished learning. Um, The third recommendation was around prioritized content and learning. Fourth, ensure inclusion of each and every learner. And I really want to take a moment to highlight number four. I think what we have noticed um, with, with our, within our own data set. And what I've heard from districts is that certain students have not been as engaged um, with remote learning, or they've had more of an impact due to um, COVID closure. I think some of these students are the ones that historically have, um, we've been underserving. And I think it's really important now for us to think about student engagement strategies 
as part of our approach to address unfinished learning. Uh, number five within their recommendation was identify and address gaps in learning through instruction and avoid the misuse of standardized testing. So I think many studies I've read so far or papers and thought leaders, they talk, they talk about the need for assessment data. More importantly, being able to use data in a formative manner. And there's a tendency for schools to over test kids. And I, I understand why they're trying to do so. They're trying to understand where students are. And in order to determine their student performance, they will have to give more tests in order to determine what are the misconceptions, the gaps that they may have within their learning. Unfortunately, too often, um, these tests don't necessarily complete provide a complete picture of student performance, where I think majority of assessments that are used are gives schools information about the student relative to their peers, or in essence, they'll give them a percentile rank or a norm. Norms are helpful if I want to compare one student against another, but if I'm trying to understand what is the grade level of the student, we're going to need something else. We're going to need some sort of assessment that indicates what is the grade level and not just their grade equivalent. And then last is back to the report. The one key area that they recommend is to capitalize on commonalities, not differences. So thinking back to assessment data, if I have great assessment data that tells me what students know and are ready to learn next, and if I can group my students based upon common needs or commonalities, that's one way to address the um, unfinished learning of our students. Wow. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly helpful. I think when, when folks right now are thinking about unfinished learning and how to proceed as, as schools slowly but surely get more back to normal, whatever that new normal is. It's it's overwhelming, but it's nice that they break it down into smaller, you know, actionable um, like tips for, for leaders and teachers to then, um, you know, move forward with. And we'll link the white paper that Ken is referring to in our show notes. Um, but in terms of if you're a school leader right now, or if you're a district leader, how do you sort of communicate this to your to your teachers if teachers are going to go back to what they've always been doing maybe that's remediation or not necessarily grouping students with commonalities um, and, and really emphasize like that in-depth piece and the, and the scaffolds so i think being able to um, get our teachers in the right mindset is going to be helpful helping them understand the importance of grade level content and while also addressing that balance of meeting kids where they are. So at a minimum, as a leader, what I would really want to emphasize to my teachers is that this grade level is really important. However, we should really be thinking more holistically and thinking from a multi-year view. So what I mean by that is think about it from a perspective of the standards. What are the prerequisite skills or understandings that students need to have in order to access grade level? And could they go through that mapping exercise themselves, or at least look at reports that provide a perspective of grade level, and then helping them understand what are the, the groupings that they should be considering in order to get kids um, to grade level by focusing on prerequisite skills or misunderstandings. And I want to dig in a little bit to point four that you talked about with the, the student engagement. Is there a way to really understand 
student engagement. I mean, how are we looking at student engagement and understanding if students were learning at home or in school or the difference? And are we thinking of that through an assessment lens at Curriculum Associates or, or just your general thoughts on talking to all of these districts and analyzing their mid-year data? So how are you, how, so I want to know from your perspective, how are you approaching this from a data lens, an assessment lens, but then also what are we recommending uh, educators do in order to really capture that without assessing more, which is the point five? Like we don't want to overly assess to try to get to those conclusions. Yeah, that's a great question, Danielle. So from a data perspective, one of the things that we've done within the iReady program is ask a question simply at the beginning of each assessment period. Where are they? Where are you? Are you taking the assessment at school or at home? One of the reasons why this question is so important is that we've known and we've seen within our data set that there seems to be more of an inconsistency of the results if students are taking the assessment at home. So in a way, some of those scores that you are getting um, if kids are taking the assessment at home are somewhat less reliable than if they were in school. Um, We've seen scores being somewhat inflated um, through at-home testing at the beginning of the year. The one thing I would say is that over time, it's gotten better. So the um, number of the amount of inconsistencies um, from the winter, most recent winter diagnostic is actually a lot better. And they're tracking more towards um, historical results. So being able to understand where students are taking the assessment being able to break out the data, whether or not they're in school or out of school is going to be important um, as a way to measure the level of engagement as they're going through the assessment itself. Another way of looking at engagement factors from the assessment is to take a look at it from a perspective of how much time are they spending? Are they rushing through the assessment? And in order to do that, we've actually have pretty um, good measures around time on tasks that we can report out to teachers. Um, along with flags that indicate, did the student rush through the assessment? So ultimately, the goal is to make sure that we get the best data possible. So we built some components within our reports to report on that. But at the same time, it's about preparing students and their families to take to do their best. So we've created more resources um, for to communicate the importance of at-home testing how parents can support their students um, in taking that assessment at home by not providing any assistance, um, along with ways to help teachers proctor um, the, that assessment remotely. That's great. And we can link all of those resources in our show notes too um, for your quick reference, even though they are located on our iReady Central page all over it. Um, so Ken, what do you think should be, based on these six factors um, from this wonderful report, where should educators start, in your opinion? Because to handle all six, it's a lot. Or, or how can we prioritize their approach and thinking about um, even planning for back to school? Yeah, I, I think the area that I would focus on is the grade level content and instructional rigor. Being able to look at my data um, before the end, before students leave for the summer, or looking at my results at the beginning of the school year 
to really understand what is the actual grade level of the student, more so than just their percentile rank. The benefit of knowing the grade level is really important because if I'm teaching fifth grade, what I want to know is how many of my fifth graders are working at a fourth, third, or second grade level overall, and being able to understand what that looks like across the various domains in math or reading. So if I'm doing a fifth grade level topic this fall, and I have some students working at a fourth or third grade level, being able to look at some sort of prerequisite report that allows me to select a grade level topic and then see what are the prerequisite skills that's, uh, that students need to have in order to be successful with that standard is going to be really important. If I know that my students are working at a fourth grade level, what I should be doing is grouping them based upon common needs and really design scaffolds or help them think through what are the missing skills that they may have. So this is one way to kind of balance between our focus on grade level standards while meeting students where they are at. That's exactly what I did with my fifth graders when I used iReady in the classroom and I would have killed for that prerequisite report because I had to do it all myself. But I think it's just, it's a really nice starting point to say like, here's what I want my, my students to do, add decimals or whatever it is, right? And then here are, it seems so overwhelming if they're not there yet, but then knowing the exact standards and how to then group my students so you can work on those things all at the same time and be transparent with them. Like we're working on X, which you need to, to do in order to get to sixth grade, but we're also, we're having trouble with this skill. And then, you know, teach it to them in that way it makes it a lot more digestible for teachers. And I think less overwhelming because it's pinpointing exactly what they need to do that grade level content. Um, before we wrap up, Ken, I'm wondering the, the exposure to grade level content even for, for students, no matter where they are, is sort of a big shift for a lot of teachers, right? Because typically we'd say, okay, this eighth grader is reading at a fifth grade level, we're gonna give them fifth grade text only. If I'm a teacher and I wanna make that shift, are, are there any resources that you'd recommend just in order to get my, my mindset right and to understand why it's so important for students to see that grade level content, no matter where they are? Yeah, I think that there's a number of papers I would cite, but the one that seems to be um, have the most influence recently is the opportunity myth by the New Teacher Project, TNTP. In that paper, they really spell out the need or benefit for grade level instruction. Historically, what they have seen is that a number of students are successful with their assignments. However, the majority of those assignments, especially in our schools, where we, they serve the most um, underserved students is that they are not getting access to grade level instruction. So as a result, what we're doing is we're perpetuating this myth that students have opportunities um, to learn. Unfortunately, we are not providing them with the right kinds of opportunities so that they have access to grade level content. And then we wonder later on, why is it the case that certain schools are not making any progress? Ultimately, if we could um, increase the rigor of the work that we are doing, set high expectations for all students, and design approaches or scaffolds to get them there, ultimately that is what we're going to see as a way to um, address the unfinished learning that we have noted that we need to address, um, along with being able to really accelerate students um, to get them to grade level. The thing that I would emphasize is this. 
just because you're, you have a fifth grader who's working at a third or fourth grade level, it doesn't mean that they've never been exposed to those topics from a pre previously, nor are, does it mean that they cannot think at a higher grade level as well. Exactly. Thank you. And I think it's so fascinating when we think about research. That paper came out in 2018, and that was pre-COVID, and then craziness happened. Yet the research found and the best practices are still relevant even now as students are, you know, it's been a very challenging year for a lot of educators. So best practices are still best practices. And I love what you just said. Lower level readers do not equal lower level thinkers. Just because a student might be uh, struggling at different levels accessing text, we still need to give them equitable access to all grade level content. So I Absolutely. We've talked about that a couple of times um, on this podcast with educators as well. Uh, so unfortunately, though, Ken, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we will link all of these amazing resources in our show notes. And we are excited to continue the leadership series. So make sure you still tune into this as well as our other normal extraordinary ed educator podcast, but where can people find us, Sari, in between and beyond and all of it? <laughs> yes. And thanks again, Ken, for being here. We really enjoyed chatting with you today. Uh, you can follow along on Twitter at Curriculum Associ and on Instagram at my iReady. And as always, be sure to tag us in your post too, so we can see the work that you do every single day. If you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, you can email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. This is about you. We are here for you. So until we meet again, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.